Good morning. Uh, this time of year, we think a lot about Jesus' birth, and we're thankful that He came, that He was born into this world. Uh, but every Sunday, we come together to proclaim Jesus' resurrection. How about an amen to that? I want to hear from you this morning. Uh, we, every first day of the week, as the early Christians did, uh, we come to proclaim that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has risen, that He is alive, that He's at the right hand of the Father and that He lives to intercede for us every day. And the very least that we can do as believers is to come together as we've been commanded on the first day of the week. That's just a little bit of our devotion to Him. A devotion that should start on Sunday and last throughout the rest of our week from Monday to Saturday. We're really thankful that you're here that you've decided to gather in this place of worship, uh, that you have braved the wintry weather to be here with us. I bet that this weather has kept some away, uh, but not you. You're here, and we're thankful. And uh, I also know that we have many visitors in our midst, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're also thankful that many of our college students uh, have returned home and uh, we hope that you will enjoy your break, and we hope that this semester turned out as you hoped that it would, and that probably all the, gra- the grades have come back in, and uh, hopefully you were pleased with all of those. Uh, we've got the one-word slide up here, and as we've been talking about, this is a devotional book that our entire congregation uh, is going to be reading through in uh, uh, the year 2017. I didn't have anything to do with putting this book together. Uh, I did write some devotionals, uh, and you will find that on page 81 there are some really excellent devotionals, maybe the best of the whole book. Um, so you'll, you'll be greatly blessed when you get to page 81, but uh, I, I, I'm just joking. There were some, a group of ministers in Churches of Christ that put this together, and uh, the congregation that's sort of overseeing, it, overseeing this work uh, is the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And as Frank mentioned a couple weeks ago, we are not the only congregation participating in this. There are many churches all over this country uh, who will be reading through that book and who uh, will be learning more about those words I'll be preaching on every word that you read about in your one-word book as we go throughout the year, and we're praying that as a result of these books, we will be able to grow in the knowledge of God together next year, and I'm excited. And so on your way out, if you haven't yet, pick up your book. We've got a list out there, and I know uh, some of you have not yet picked it up, so make sure you do that and highlight your name so we know that you have taken your book, your one-word book. All right, we are in the midst of a series called The Amazing, Marvelous Son of God, and we'll be wrapping up this series next week, and next week, just as a reminder, uh, we will not be having Bible classes at 9, we won't be having evening worship at 6, we will be meeting here at 10 o'clock to finish up uh, this series about Jesus Christ and to uh, worship our God together on Christmas morning at 10 o'clock. I'm sure that all of you know that there is a difference between intelligence and wisdom. Uh, It's commonly recognized, isn't it, that there's a difference uh, between head knowledge and between being wise. Let me tell you about a university where the favorite course was a survey of the New Testament. 
Why was it a favorite? Well, because there was no homework, no reading, and no tests before the final exam. And for the final exam, this is a great story for all our college kids who have finals fresh on their mind. For the final exam, for 25 years, the same professor had asked the same question, and it was describe the missionary journeys of Paul. Now, a young man, uh, and this young man went by the name Meathead, uh, which is not a name you would associate with academic excellence, but that was his nickname, how he was known, Meathead. And he was a star on the school's football team. He took the course. And all semester long, a tutor helped him to prepare for the final exam. And when the day of the final test came, Meathead was ready. He knew everything about every missionary journey that Paul had ever taken. He knew about Thessalonica and Philippi, about Rome and Tyre. He knew about Timothy and Barnabas and Mark and Luke. Meathead was ready for the test. But when the final exam was passed out, students all over that great auditorium, they were stunned to see a new question. For the first time in a quarter century, the professor decided to ask a different question. And instead of a question about Paul's missionary journeys, there was this question. Critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. The shock was felt across the room. A young man stood up. He took his blue book, the, the blue book that all the students were given to, uh, to give their answers. He took it and he slammed it on the professor's desk and it was empty. He had not written a thing. He didn't know how to answer the question because he had not prepared to answer that question. And one by one, all of the students left. None of them knew how to write about this except for Meathead. Meathead opened his blue book and he began to write. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote. The professor's assistant came back in about an hour later. He was still writing. Two hours later, he was still going at it. For a full three hours, Meathead filled up his blue book. And that afternoon... The professor had two stacks of blue books on his desk. On his right, a tall stack of empty blue books, all with the grade of F. And on his left, one single blue book with a big, bold A+, right on top, and it was Meathead's book. A fellow student said, what in the world did you write about? And Meathead said, read it. And on the first page was the opening sentence, who am I to critique the Sermon on the Mount? Instead... Let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. Some would say, some would say that Meathead discovered wisdom on that day. Wisdom, this word before us this morning. Wisdom to all Bible-believing, God-fearing people, people like you and me, this ought to be an important word. Uh, This ought to be a vital concept in our vocabulary of faith. And so for that reason, this is the word that we're talking about today. So let me, as we begin, give you a little primer on wisdom. Let's start here. What is wisdom? I think it would be best for us to begin by defining our terms. Well, there are a lot of definitions out there for wisdom, but here's the one we're going to go with. Wisdom is the ability to discern how to live rightly and then... It doesn't stop there. And then to carry it out, to function accordingly. 
uh, to this knowledge you have about how to live in a right, upstanding manner. Wisdom comes from two different places. There are two sources of wisdom, or two types, we could say. There is a natural wisdom that comes from observing and learning from the world around us. We might call this wisdom from below. And sometimes this type of wisdom aligns with God's will. After all, this is my Father's world. God created everything that we see and experience. And He gifted humans uh, with great creativity and ingenuity and the ability to hypothesize and theorize And so, much of what we can observe from the world around us, much of the wisdom that we can glean from below, uh, aligns with God's will. I think about this example from the Scriptures, from Acts chapter 7, verse 22. When Stephen, in his uh, sermon to the early church, says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And this is a wisdom from below. This This is a natural wisdom wisdom and Stephen says he was mighty in his words and deeds so a uh, positive connotation is given here to wisdom that can be observed from the world we can think of countless examples of bits and pieces of wisdom that don't come directly from God but yet align with his word and his will I think about this famous quote from Eleanor Roosevelt one of our first ladies who said, it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness. Now, that's not Bible. God didn't say that. And I don't know much about Miss Roosevelt's faith. But when I see that quote, I find a lot of truth in that. Do you? I see in that a message that coheres with the message of the Bible. And I see some themes in that that reflect, well, what Jesus talked about in uh, being a light to the world. So there's a bit of natural wisdom, doesn't come directly from God, and yet, to me, it aligns very closely with God's will. However, sometimes natural wisdom opposes God's will. Sometimes wisdom, as most people view it, has nothing to do with the will and word of God, and therefore can lead us badly astray. And we, we better be on our toes. We've got to be on the lookout for this type. Paul talks a lot about it in 1 Corinthians. He spends a lot of time talking about earthly, worldly wisdom. And I want to throw up one example from 1 Corinthians 3.19 when Paul just, he comes right out and says, the wisdom of this world is folly with God. A lot of what people think is wisdom is actually, in God's mind, foolishness. And in fact, most references to natural worldly wisdom in the Scriptures are negative. And so God is trying to tell us that there is a wisdom out there that that people think is actually wise and will guide you in in the right way of life, and it's not. And you've really got to have your defenses up. You've got to make sure you don't fall into the trap of believing every little wise thing somebody says. Worldly wisdom is foolishness with God. Often. But let's go back to to the first type. Even if we have found and live by true natural wisdom, that which aligns with God's will, we need to know, and I think we do know, people in this room at least, that it's not enough. It's incomplete. Uh, It's imperfect without the next type, transcendent wisdom. 
A lot of people are content just to glean whatever wisdom they can from this world and to live based on that. And that's good, but that's not enough. We know we've got to take the next step. Because we as Bible-believing Christians, we accept that God has revealed Himself to us and He has shown us wisdom from His mind that we just we could not observe from the world below. So we, we don't just need good wisdom from below, we need wisdom from, from above. And we cannot truly live rightly without it. So the question is, where can we find this kind of wisdom? Well, that leads us to our text this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, when Paul says that in Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the Messiah I was going to mix Messiah and Savior. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the receptacle of all God's wisdom from above that we need in order to live this life in the right way. He's the treasure chest of wisdom. That's the image I want us to think about. This morning, you know, in elementary school, I had a good friend. He lived in an older home. And one day we got the idea to get some shovels and go in the backyard and start digging around to try to find some treasures. And uh, our quest did not turn up empty handed. We found all sorts of knickknacks and trinkets. And I remember a bunch of old bottles that we unearthed that, you know, aren't worth anything. But to us, they were pretty cool. It was like finding treasure. I remember finding a little stone snow white figurine. And I think I've still got it somewhere, but in my mind, I thought, this, this is really, really old. This is like an ancient artifact, you know, from some prehistoric civilization. And so, you know, out in the backyard, we excitedly dug around searching for treasure until his dad busted out the back door and said, boys, stop digging up this backyard. This, this home has already been sold. I don't think the next people who own it are going to want, you know, a bunch of mud up in the backyard. I think about uh, digging with my brother in my backyard hunting for a time capsule that we had buried many years before. And we were eager uh, to find it to, first of all, remember what it is that we put in it, but also to see how our stuff held up. We never did find that time capsule, I'm sorry to say. Uh, And we probably never will because my parents sold that house and they moved to a new place. And so probably not a good idea for me to go back digging around in that backyard anymore. We excitedly dig for treasure, and you see these guys out on the beaches with their uh, metal detectors searching for something of value. Uh, We love the idea of of long-lost treasure and, and sunken treasure at the bottom of the ocean, but how much more eagerly should we seek after godly wisdom that is found in the person of Christ? Godly wisdom. That is found, as Paul says, in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be found in Him. And so, why aren't we just as excited, more excited, more eager about becoming truly wise by sitting at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, a little bit later in Colossians, Paul warns against that which has the appearance of wisdom. And we touched on this a little earlier. This is Colossians chapter 2. Verse 23, in their world, there were beliefs and there were things that appeared to be wise and the same is true for our world. 
we can look around at the wisdom of our age and people buy into it and they, they think that it's legit, but it's not. Paul would say it only has the appearance of wisdom. It is a wisdom that opposes God and it will lead us astray if we're not, if we're not careful. So we need to be on guard against wisdom from below that only pretends to be wisdom, that does not align with God's will. Because it can be very sneaky. Even for Christians, it can find its way into the back door of our faith and make a home among us before we even realize that we have assimilated it into our belief system. Stuff that is so anti-Christian makes its home here with us and in our minds and in our hearts. We have to be extra careful. So, in the time remaining, I want to contrast some false wisdom with true wisdom from Christ in three different ways, and and we'll go through this pretty quickly. False wisdom says find ways to move up in the world. Find ways to move up in the world. On Inc.com, which is a website for entrepreneurs, and it provides advice and inspiration to people who start up businesses, listen to some of these article titles, and you tell me where the head of our world is at. Eight productive things to do over your holiday break. So we can't even get a break for thinking about how to get ahead. We can't even take some rest and enjoy some time with family and friends without having, having a to-do list of eight productive activities in order to move ahead. Here are some others. Seven remarkably powerful keys to happiness and success according to science. Seven simple things successful people do every morning. Hey, is anybody's morning routine not hectic enough? I've got seven more things that you need to fit into your morning routine that will make you more successful. Eleven ways to achieve incredible success. How to get things done when you've lost your motivation. Now the question is, is anybody out there wanting to go to Inc.com to read what some of these are. I didn't read them, so I don't know any of these things. I'm not going to share them with you. This is simply to illustrate that we are enamored as a society with moving on up in the world, with finding greater success. But that is not the wisdom that we learn from our Lord. That is not true, godly wisdom that is found in Christ. False wisdom says find ways to move up. True wisdom says find ways to move down. Jesus teaches us that the truly wise path is one that seeks to serve others and to move our status down in order to do that. And Jesus Himself is the ultimate example. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8 through describe a Lord and Savior who was in the form of God but made Himself nothing. For our sake. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is how can I lower myself for the sake of others this week? And that is not to say that people who are struggling or suffering, that we're better than them. It is simply to say how can we use the influence and the success that many of us already have, how can we leverage that in order to serve people who are suffering, how can we make sure this holiday season that we do not close our eyes to people who don't have a job, to people who are homeless, to people who are hungry, to people struggling with an addiction? Sometimes we only want to see what's right with the world and we don't want to see the people beneath us who are suffering greatly 
And a lot of times it's because we've got our eyes on what's next, on getting that bigger home or getting that better car or, or earning more money in the new year. Anything we can do to move up and, and be more successful. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was equal with God and He said, I'll make myself nothing. I'll become a servant. I'll, I'm even willing to die on the cross for sinful humanity. Jesus teaches us that true wisdom is not about moving up. True wisdom is about looking for ways to move down. And so how are you going to move down this week? What opportunities are, are going to present themselves for you to take a step downward to serve and to minister to people who are in great need? False wisdom preaches self-fulfillment. About a month ago, Glennon Doyle Melton, who is a popular Christian, I'm, I'm going to put that in quotes and you'll see why, Christian blogger at the site Momastery, Maybe some of you have read articles or blog posts from the site Momastery. She announced that she had begun dating American soccer star Abby Wambach. Miss Melton had been married to a man named Craig for many years. Uh, together they had three children. But back in late summer, they divorced after he was unfaithful to her. And now she has entered a lesbian relationship with Abby Wambach of the U.S. soccer team. Abby recently split up from her wife. This is a mess. But I want you to listen to Glennon Doyle Melton's announcement that she made on social media to all those who follow her, who listen to what she has to say, who, who read her writings. L listen to her defense, okay? This is very telling. She said, I want you to grow so comfortable in your own being, your own skin, your own knowing that you become more interested in your own joy and freedom and integrity than in what others think about you. I want you to refuse to betray yourself because what the world needs is to watch one woman at a time live her truth without asking for permission or offering explanation. I have officially become a woman who knows who she is and refuses to betray herself. Now, there is more in that to break down than we have time for. This is the gospel of Glenn and Dole Melton. This is the message that she puts out to thousands of followers. This is the message that she preaches in front of Christian women all over our country in, in different conferences and gatherings. This is her gospel, but in reality, this is no gospel at all because it's not good news. It's not good news. It's a philosophy that to many in the world may seem good and wise and true, and people eat this stuff up, but its destructiveness to the soul knows no bounds. And it is a far cry from the life-bringing wisdom that is found in Jesus Christ. Christians are getting sucked up into this mess all over our country and all over our world, and we've got to put our foot down and say, enough. False wisdom preaches self-fulfillment. I'm placing myself on the throne and my happiness and my joy and my fulfillment is the most important thing that I can seek after. Forget about my family. Forget about my church. Forget about society. It's about me. But true wisdom preaches self-denial. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. 
the one who sat on the throne comes down to the earth and says, if you want to follow after me, you have to follow in my footsteps. And you have to deny yourself. And you have to take up the cross and follow me. The one who sat on the throne comes down, and yet we down here place ourselves on the throne. We're all on the throne. It's all about me. It's not. That is as destructive a false teaching as there ever was. It's not wisdom. It's from the very pits of hell. And true wisdom says that actually following after Jesus means we consider others before we consider ourselves. That we deny ourselves. And so the question is, how is Christ calling me to suffer for His sake this week? Sometimes being a Christian means we have to suffer for what we believe in. And so how, how might Christ be calling me to suffer in His name this week? Finally, false wisdom tells us to seek happiness. This is very much like the fulfillment one, but different in some ways. Seek after happiness. That's your number one goal. I know of an extramarital affair that tore two marriages apart, two families apart, left great devastation in its wake, as they always do. It always affects more than those two people. The woman involved in the affair had a dear friend, and this friend was very concerned about her, specifically about her spiritual well-being, about her soul, about her relationship with God. And that, by the way, is a true friend. And anytime we see a friend making destructive choices, it is our responsibility out of love to go to that person and out of concern, confront them. And so that's what this lady did. She confronted her friend out of love with a spirit of gentleness. And the woman said, I feel, I really feel that I'm right with the Lord because I know God wants me to be happy. I know He wants me to be happy. Now, it is scary how many have assimilated this worldly wisdom. God wants me to be happy. How we have assimilated that into the Christian faith. It has found its, ways, its way in. Its tentacles have taken over large sectors of our church, our churches all over the country. God wants me to be happy. True wisdom instead tells us to seek holiness. Jesus teaches us to not be concerned with our wants, but with God's will. Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, Your will be done. Jesus instructs us in His final moments on earth to not be concerned about our will, but with God's will. Jesus in the garden said, if there's any other way, Lord, let it be done. Let this cup of suffering pass from me. That was his prayer. He didn't want to go through death on, uh, for us. He didn't want to experience the humiliation and the pain that would come with his death. But that was not the, the totality of his prayer. How did he end his prayer? Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus' life was not about seeking happiness it was about being holy and fulfilling God's will. And so the question is, how will I obey God over pursuing happiness this week? Now here's the good news. To be sure, following true wisdom will eventually lead us to true happiness, to fulfillment, and to glory, to exaltation. We're going to talk about that next week in our last lesson in this series. But there's only one way to get there. And that is through submitting to the way of wisdom that comes 
from Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts. These things, happiness, fulfillment, and exaltation, they may not come in this life. In fact, for most of us, the fullness of these, we have to wait until the life to come. And those are the end result of following after godly wisdom in this life. So the question is, do you need to submit to this wisdom today? Do you need to become something, uh, a part of something that is much greater than you? Uh, You have the opportunity to turn away from all of these selfish, empty pursuits as people try to move up in the world and seek self-fulfillment and chase after happiness. And they, they realize in time that all of that doesn't bring what they were looking for. They're all dead ends. And Jesus has been here all along saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in me are all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. In Christ, we can know truly how to live rightly. Do you need help living rightly? Do you need to become a Christian today? Or are you a Christian and you've been struggling uh, with the voices that are coming from this world and you need to come this morning and you need to say, I am going to recommit myself to following after Jesus Christ and His wisdom. I want my life realigned with the wisdom that comes from above. I'm tired of listening to all this mess that comes from the world. You have a chance to do that. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?